Welcome again to Foul Players Radio. My name is Michael Spedden, and tonight's guest is Stacy Toy. She is an actress, she's a producer, and she's the Chief Operations Officer of 25-8 Studios, Incorporated. 25-8 Studios has produced commercials for many companies like Toyota, Super Bowl ads, produced the Paralympic Games in South Korea. They've won 13 advertising awards, as well as the Professionals' Choice and People's Choice Awards. She holds degrees from Elizabethtown College in Pennsylvania and Harris Manchester College at Oxford University, and has a master's degree in journalism. She spent 11 years in the broadcasting industry in a top 55 market station as the live TV news director, directing some of America's highest-rated local newscasts in the country. Also spent time in London working with networks during the 2012 Olympic Games. In the summer of 2016, Stacy filmed in Haiti as a co-producer alongside Academy Award-winning producer-director Robert May and Senart Films. In the beginning of November 2016, their documentary Open Arms Haiti debuted at the National Conference for Life Song in Tucson, Arizona, and it raised nearly $2 million in funds to help the Haitian people. Since then, Stacy has produced, pitched, and managed feature films, TV shows, pilots, sizzle reels, commercials, and documentaries, has worked alongside countless celebrities, including Beyonce's father, Matthew Knowles, on his reality TV show in 2017 for the E! Network with Buna Murray. Her feature that was released in October 2019 called 100 Acres of Hell is streaming now on Amazon, iTunes, Vudu, On Demand, and other streaming platforms around the world. After its debut, it made the top 10 Britflix list in November in the UK, as well as hitting number 2 in the top number 5 list of YouTube's top picks in December 2019. In early March of 2018, Stacy was honored by the Honorable Retired Lord Kakar in the House of Lords, London, for her work as an Oxford University alumni. She was also chosen in 2017 as the Northeast Woman and honored as the most distinguished alumni from Elizabethtown College. Stacy has been recognized with Who's Who in America and is also a member of the Pennsylvania Film Industry Association, Eastern Star, and National Association of Professional Women. In 2019, Stacy was accepted into an entrepreneur program with Harvard Business School Online. Uh, she was invited into Europe's largest entrepreneur society, the Oxford Entrepreneur Society, and is a current member. Stacy has worked in just under 50 countries, filming, broadcasting, and providing media, and she currently resides in the Pocono Mountains area with her two teenage sons, Gavin and Dylan. So, Stacy, welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us here tonight. I was just looking through your bio, and you know, as we just heard it, I mean, you've been involved with so many projects over the years, so many good and exciting things. Um, Tell us what you have going on uh, right now, maybe something more current. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, I'm really excited to be on your show. My pleasure. Um, yay. Uh, so one thing that's current, uh, it's currently running on Amazon and Voodoo and Google Play and iTunes and On Demand and like 32 platforms mm-hmm. um, is 100 Acres of Hell. It's a, a horror feature film. It's my very first one that I ever did. Uh, we started it about five, six years ago, and um, I, as we'll talk about more, um, I transitioned from news into the film world. I actually got hired to, excuse me, do public relations for this film. So I was on set the very first week on set, and I just have a natural curiosity. So I like to ask questions, and I like to know how things work, and, you know, that's just kind of how I am in my personality. 
Um, and after the first week on set, they came to me and they're like, we would like for you to be the production manager. And so essentially they asked me to run the entire set. And I'm like, you guys know that I've never, this is my first week on set and I've never done this before. And they're like, yes, but you know, your questions ended up leading to some things that happened and you know, you kind of saved us here. So we really would like for you to be in charge and we think that you could do it and we'll help you. So I'm like, okay, great. Sure. You know, I, I'm one of those people that when you see an opportunity, you take it. Uh, I figured if I was terrible at it, that was okay too because then at least I'd know that I was terrible at it, but they mm -hmm. also knew going into it that I had no experience. So I figured, what could I lose here as long as I just tried my best? You come um, across so, as a go-getter. Yeah, I do. It's, it's That's just kind of how my life is. You know, I grew up on a farm uh, we in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't have a lot of money. I mean, we weren't like poor, poor. I mean, we had running water and we always had food and we didn't want for anything, but we couldn't have anything extra, if that sure. makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So my, you know, growing up, my father always taught us um, that nobody was going to come and knock on our door here in rural Pennsylvania to, mm -hmm. to come and find us. So we had to go out and get what we wanted, but also because he couldn't write us a check and say, okay, here, just go run off to Europe with all these other rich friends of yours. Um, you had to find another way to do it. So that meant scholarships that meant being involved in organizations. So the hustle was instilled in me from a long time ago, from, from the beginning. Um, but I don't think my parents actually knew what, what they were building. They created a monster here with this <laughs> one. Um, but all for good, of course. Well, good. Uh, yeah. So, but it was funny because my dad said that thing about nobody's going to come and knock on your door here. So 100 acres of hell, uh, half of it was actually filmed on our property, on my parents' property and my property here in rural Pennsylvania on the farm. Mm -hmm. So it was funny because when my father says nobody's going to come here, I brought the whole production team here. <laughs> and so that's, so I'm very proud of it. It's my very first film. And ultimately it's what kickstarted my entire career. Uh, a mix with that. And my current business partner, Mark Denenbaum, uh, we now have, we have 25, eight studios. He started that 10 years ago. Now it was 10 years ago this month. And um, five, six years ago, I called him up because he had, uh, previously lived out in Los Angeles. He was on the production for the first two seasons of, Son of Sons of Anarchy. He worked okay. on everything from House, Elementary, 24, hmm. Scrubs. I mean, you name it. Hmm. He was on the top shows. And wow. so he knew what he was doing. Uh, so I called him and I'm like, Mark, I have no idea what's, what, what I'm doing, but they think I can do this and this. And he sat me down the one day and he said, you're a producer. And I said, no, I'm not, because I only knew TV producing, live TV news producing, which was totally different than film producing, but mm -hmm. it's not even close. Um, but I didn't know that at the time. And so he ended up, while I was filming um, 100 Acres of Hell, we had taken a break and Mark hired me as a producer to do a Toyota commercial. And he said, come on, I'll show you. And he showed me. And as soon as I really understood what a producer was, I went, oh my gosh, this is me. You're mm -hmm. right. This is so me. Um, so I really have to be grateful for those opportunities that I took because they ultimately led me to where I am right now. And um, you just never know where life's going to take you and you just have to jump. Yeah, yeah, you do it. It's you know, I had no idea I'd be where I am today. You know, mm -hmm. um, and and you know, I mean, I'm still a million bucks shy of being a millionaire, but I've had some pretty good success. <laughs> we all are. You know, um, 
I, I had no idea I would have, you know, a manager. I had no idea I'd be on national television shows and in national commercials at this point. Um, I mean, you know, I'd always been a local band guy down here in Baltimore and all my listeners have heard my story. You know, um, I've been like mm-hmm. a local band guy and then I got out of it and I got back into it. Then I went out for some theater on a whim, you know, somebody asked me to come out and then people just started to ask me, do ask me to do things. I met my wife. She had an agent. I went and auditioned for her, well, her manager. I went and auditioned for them. And I was like, here goes nothing. Okay, yep. here goes nothing. You know, they're not going to want me. But uh, And then they signed me, and then I was on Gotham and J.G. Wentworth that's and great. all that. But this show's about you. But, I mean, it's but like no, what no, I was no, trying to awesome, say. No, You know, I like hearing about you, too. And by, by the way, I love your voice. You have an amazing voice. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I wish more people that cast voiceovers felt the same way. Um, unfortunately, they must uh, disagree with you a little bit. Um, but <laughs> I thank you so much for the compliment. It's nice to hear. That's nice to hear. I, I believe me, I do appreciate it. <laughs> well, I mean it. I mean, I wouldn't just stop and say it. I really do. So hire this guy. He's really good. I'm well, telling you. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that so much, Stacy. I appreciate that. But um, like I said, just having you know, no idea. I would you know, I believe me, I love it. I enjoy it. I'm loving the moment. Believe me, I'm loving this time. But I had no idea it would happen, and I'm just glad. You know, so. And, yeah. and, and I'm sure you are too. I mean, I'm you know, you know, looking through all these accomplishments and everything. It's just, um, it, it's really something here. I mean, and, and so, um, let's hop back into where we were here. I didn't want to jump in. No, and, uh, <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> yep. So where did I leave off? I'm sorry. Uh, where did <laughs> you we leave? got talking? Your voice kind of just like mesmerized me for a second. <laughs> I'm like, he has a really great voice. Well, sorry. <laughs> Maybe I should get into hypnotism or something like that. And you are getting very sleepy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you never know, man. Because if you could do that, then I'll have your recorder. Because some nights when I can't sleep, I totally need it. And the melatonin just doesn't work. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I used to teach college part-time, too. And I, uh, I whatever I did in there seemed to do the trick for some people. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but That's I think funny. I think where we left off was you were being told that you are a producer, and then you're like, "Yes, I am a yes. producer." Yes, I am. Yep. <laughs> so, so ultimately, then um, right after we started filming with all that, uh, the Toyota commercial, and after Hundred Acres of Hell, um, I had always I had then reconnected with my cousin who is Academy Award-winning producer, director Robert May. He did, he won for uh, Errol Morris's Fog of War documentary uh, where he produced and he also did big things like Kids for Cash um, which is, I think is currently on Netflix Um, but anyway, so I had been just talking to him and and asking him for some advice throughout you know, my projects and, and whatnot and we were talking the one day and I was talking to him about something totally different, and he just randomly said, "Hey, have you? What do you think of Haiti?" And I'm like, "Oh, I actually love it. I'd been there about three times before." Huh. Um, and he's like, "Really?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "Surprisingly, I really actually it's beautiful down there." I said, "And I've always wanted to go down and to do something because my husband and I had had talked about that. He's the one who had taken me to Haiti prior, hmm. um, and and he's we wanted to go and do something." Christian related with kids that would help like, you know, with something. Um, and he's like, well, I have this project and I, I wanted to see if you would come and, and produce it with me. And I'm like, absolutely. Are you kidding me? This is fantastic. So we, it was all about, uh, going down to tell the story of these orphan kids because there's this Christian organization that was 
going to use the documentary to raise money and they were going to build, they have this 14 acre Mm -hmm. lot and they wanted to build a school and housing and, and just like a safe environment for the kids that's secure and has self-sustaining agriculture and, and construction and all that stuff. So we went down, it was me, uh, Robert May and the three, uh, we had two camera guys and an audio guy. Um, and we, spent all that time down there and and told these kids stories and it was absolutely life-changing for me because they had nothing but they had everything if that makes sense right um you know they have such a, a high faith and a positive attitude and even though we didn't speak the same language you know with the translator and everything it helped but it it was like we were all on the same playing field it didn't matter we were all you know got along and and it was really great so after we did all of that um the documentary which is online still uh, if you go to openarmshaiti.com it comes up uh, it's only about 10 minutes long it's not that long mm-hmm. but after it debuted at the <clears throat> national conference that fall in 2016 within 20 minutes they had raised you know about two million dollars or something so it was so cool because in less than a year after we were there they had everything from the school to the internet to clean water to houses to uh soccer fields and all of this stuff and it's a secure lot (laughs) even when hurricane matthew came through the following year yeah uh everything around it was destroyed but there was nothing except like two trees got knocked down or something. It was like a miracle oh, wow. that they were, everybody was great. Um, and I still keep in touch with them because mm-hmm. now they have iPads and FaceTime and Facebook. And so oh, the good. translator yeah. keeps and we, we still stay in touch and I'm hoping to go <laughs> back down uh, eventually after all this COVID stuff and everything gets a little bit safer to travel. Yeah. Uh, and I'm hoping to bring my kids down so that they can get a chance to meet them because they've only met them through FaceTime and whatnot. But I, think it's important for them to see how other people have to live um so as we have security and all that kind of stuff too so it's it's safe uh otherwise i I really wouldn't suggest going on your own (laughs) right 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 now when you went now was this when you went down there was this after that horrible didn't they had a really bad earthquake there in the last 10 years oh yes yeah that was in so a lot of these kids that were orphans lost their parents in the earthquake okay Um, okay so yeah there it had been about five years i think since the earthquake oh okay 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 wow and that's uh well that's quite a that's quite a good thing to do i'm glad you were able to really help those people down there with your documentary and all your efforts and everything it's uh that's really great that they're able to go down and uh you know make a difference for those folks. And you can, and you, when you, you were telling me that you could really see the difference in their lives and everything, you really did a uh, good change for the better. So congratulations. Thank you. I love doing that kind of stuff. And so does my business partner, Mark, and my whole team does. Um, we mm-hmm. like giving a voice to people who wouldn't have otherwise have been heard. Sure. Uh, sure. Before all this COVID stuff, we were working with one of the Queen's charities over in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also collaborated with Oxford. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were going to be doing a, a big PR documentary thing on homelessness because they had been losing so many people uh, that were homeless because of the weather and because of different environments and stuff. Mm-hmm. So so it's like we love working, we're, you know, we're doing we were doing stuff uh, with uh, homeless vets here in the U.S. as oh, well. Sure. I mean, we love working with with different kinds of organizations. And those are the our favorite kind of stories to tell. We do feature films and TV and we do it all. But 
those are our favorite, like our passion projects, if you will. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's good that you're doing things for our veterans because they definitely need you. Um, My husband was, he was in the Navy. So it's like, it's so close to home. Is that right? Yeah. We live in uh, Perryville, Maryland and in our neighborhood is a veterans hospital. And many of the people that are, um, treated at the hospital or unfortunately the folks that saw the, uh, all the really bad sides of combat mm-hmm. and, uh, they're dealing with their own, um, you know, they're, they're really dealing with a lot of hard, um, mental issues because of that. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, there, and a number of them are neighbors in our neighborhood, you know, they are in, uh, some housing that's here and we have them, you know, come by on Christmas once in a while and get a little bite to eat and we say hello all the time and, Wonderful yeah. neighbors, wonderful neighbors, but um, you know, we we have those folks to thank you know for being able to live here and enjoy the things that we enjoy. We can never forget that. So that's Absolutely. wonderful that you're doing those things for people here. So um, yeah, and uh, you were talking about England, and um, that apparently they think pretty highly of you over there. Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, some people do, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, weren't you recognized <laughs> Which- by um? You were recognized over there, I think I was reading, weren't you? Yeah, in Parliament. We had a dinner at Parliament, um, and I was recognized for being in that. I forget the exact thing. It was like an outstanding Oxford alumni. Oh. Um, yeah, so it was really cool to be inside, looking outside at the Tams, having a drink on the inside, <laughs> just because I'm always on the outside looking in. So mm-hmm. it was really cool. I wasn't expecting it, um, but it was a cool full, full circle moment for me, just because You know, a lot of people don't know this, but when I was studying at Oxford uh, and I lived over there uh, for a few years, even leading up to that, I had been taking uh, and at the end of my Oxford, I was taking between 70 and 100 Vicodin a day uh, pain pills. So this was I'll be clean. The end of October will be 17 years for me. So this was pre opioid epidemic. Wow. Uh, So you could get as many pills as you want from whomever. And I had a lot, I had uh, issues with ovarian cysts real bad. And Mm. I was a gymnast and a cheerleader and not like a ballet dancer and stuff. So my, I have a lower disc bulge and there was just, you know, all these problems that really didn't bother me as bad as I needed pills for. But again, Uh pre-opioid epidemic and I'm going to the number one school in the world. So, and I was making Dean's list, excuse Mm. me. And so it's like, Oh, she's fine. Just keep giving them to her, you know. And it's it was it was a long fall from the top, that's for sure. Uh, because the last week of Oxford, when I was living over there, I had been there for a year. Um, they, I ran out of pills for the first time, and I couldn't go to the doctors over there, and I couldn't, you know, get them from home because they wouldn't be mailed in time and whatnot. So it was, and when I came home, it was uh, truth truth time. (laughs) And, uh, it was, it was terrible. It was the hardest, uh, point in my life because when I went to go ask for help, um, I wasn't doing it. Like I wasn't using heroin and I wasn't underage drinking. Um, it was like, I was abusing my own prescription. So it was just like, it, it was tough, man. So it took a long time for me to bounce back because everything that I had built up and worked for, I now everything I had built up and worked for, had now been ripped out 
you know, essentially from underneath me. So, so, but, um, you know, ultimately, so I did end up getting my life back together and I had my children and I got married. Um, my husband and I had been friends since we were five years old. We weren't high school sweethearts. We never dated until after he got out of the military. Um, well, it was more like during right towards the end of, excuse me. I don't know why this keeps like, (laughs) I apologize. Um, so, um, yeah, so, uh, we ended up getting married and all that. And then when he came home, he had a hard time with PTSD, kind of like we were saying before, um, trying to find a job because he was a jet mechanic on the aircraft carriers and went around with like the blue angels and there's none of that stuff here in, in the Poconos, uh, to do that kind of thing. So it was hard for him to find a job and, you know, one thing led to another and, Essentially, he was he was getting help and seeing doctors, and they just put him on a lot of medication for anxiety and to sleep and for bipolar and depression, which he was never bipolar before. Um, so I know that he had just been wanting to find some relief um, because when you're in that limbo stage of trying to get help and things just aren't working in your favor. He wasn't working. I was doing everything and we had the kids and whatnot. I understand all that, but he went to a friend's house and, um, had another friend of his shoot him up with heroin just to get some relief. Again, I don't condone it, but Mm -hmm. he'd never done it like that before. Um, so it wasn't like he was like an avid addict or anything like that. Um, but it was on veterans day too in 2011 Mm. and he went to sleep and just didn't wake up. Um, he was 28, I was 28 and our kids were six and four at the time. It was right before, you know, right before Thanksgiving and the holidays. So, um, you don't expect to ever have to go through that kind of stuff, especially before you're 30 years old and having, you know, two little kids looking up at you and, you know, but life hands you lemons sometimes. And Mm. it's like, what are you going to do? So, I, you know, I had all the strength in me and that's where faith came in. Um, and I, I just had to trust it. And so being where I was years ago as an addict myself and seeing how people kicked me when I was down because I was right at the top. And then when I fell, it was like, everyone pointed their fingers. Oh, you're the failure. Oh, you're the drug addict. Oh, you're never going to make it. You ruined your life, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it was like, I wanted to try to do something different. And so I found out the person who shot him up. We weren't friends, but I had known of him because he was, you know, a couple grades younger in school. Um, So I remember him being the troublemaker kid. Um, And I knew that him and my husband and these two other people, the four of them used to hang out growing up uh, through grade school and all that stuff. So they still continue to keep in touch. And, um, but I reached out to him and, and I messaged him on Facebook and I know that he had been in prison for something else that was unrelated to this, but it was only for like a two or three months. <clears throat> so when he got out of prison, he got my private Facebook message that said, Hey, I want to talk to you when you get out. And he said, you know, he got back to me and said, what's up? And I said, listen, I'm going to pick you up tomorrow from the halfway house. Uh, I want to take you to lunch and I want to talk to you. And so he's like, okay. So I picked him up and I took him to lunch and I said, you know, I know what happened. And, you know, essentially if 
you can become the husband to your wife and the father to your two sons that my husband can no longer be. I'll help you and I'll forgive you. Mm. Um, and so he's, I remember he looked at me and he's like, you're the one person who's supposed to hate me and you're the only person willing to help me. And I'm like, yeah, cause I've been there. So for eight or nine months after that, like I helped him through the halfway house. I, I never gave him money or any of that stuff, but I gave him like a Bible. I gave him, um, you know, minutes on his cell phone so that he could talk to his kids or he could call me. Mm -hmm. I'd pick him up from work and, you know, when it was really cold and snowy out so that he didn't have to walk, uh, you know, just stuff like that, just to, to be able to talk to him and encourage him. So he did a lot of work on his own. Um, but that was at the end of this year, it'll be nine years that that was that I lost my husband. And so, uh, right now he has his family back. He has his own business. He's doing very well. He's been clean now. He was shooting 50 plus bags a day when I first started talking to him. Mm. Um, and he's been absolutely clean, uh, out of the four guys that hung out with my husband and him and those two other guys, he's the last one alive. All the rest of them died from addiction, uh, overdoses. And, you know, I'm, he essentially, he, he thanks me all the time. I still haven't seen him in probably two years now or whatever. But the thing is, is that not only was I think more powerful than addiction and drugs is love and forgiveness, but it sustained itself. And without me having to hold its hand, you know, this guy, he, he was tossed around his whole life because his father was in the hell's angels and, you know, mm. was trying to kill his mother. And so, I mean, he's been tossed around and, and, you know, nobody cared about him and whatnot. And so when everybody told me to put him back in prison, when they found out what happened with my husband, I'm like, why? That's his second home. You know what I mean? That's not going to do anything. He's been there so many times before. It's no big deal. Like it's not going to make a difference. And I was fully prepared for him to, for like to walk in and for him to tell me like, you know, to go to hell basically. Right, and I would have right. been okay with that too, you know, cause forgiveness isn't for the other person. It's for you. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just, to me, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth just leaves the world with a bunch of toothless blind people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and so if I'm going to, if I'm going to preach about it, I, I had to do it myself. And what better, what better place to do it than the person who took the, one of the most important people from me. Um, so, I mean, life's just got a crazy way, but it's all about reaction. It's all about perception. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's problems that are, that are here all the time. Um, and you can point the finger and you can scream and yell, or you could do all this stuff, or you can try and do something a little bit different. Um, and it's those things and those times that you take, you go out on a limb a little bit and try to do something just a little bit different. It, it changes a lot mm -hmm. of things. So this whole thing is almost 20 years in the making, you know, 17 years at the end of this year. Um, and I've seen both sides of the coin. So I know what it's like to be the addict. And I know that you can't write that kind of stuff. You can't write withdrawal and all that kind of stuff in, in a textbook and expect people to understand. I mean, when I, I remember when my eyelashes hurt, literally my eyelashes hurt. Mm, <laughs> I didn't wow. think it was even possible, but those are the moments where I feel it's the most effective because I've been there. And then I also had to learn that they have to want it for themselves too. And, and it's about your decisions because I had to bury my husband at the same respect. Um, so yeah, I mean, all those accomplishments and achievements and stuff, I, I find they're amazing and wonderful, but it just, it still kind of is shocking to me how I had all of these moments that were supposed to set me back and really they just launched me forward. If mm -hmm. it makes sense. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, 
Right. Well, that's, I mean, well, I'm glad you've overcome all these things and you've been able to, you know, make this a positive part of your life and everything. It's just, um, and, you know, being, you know, on that side of it, you know, you know, losing somebody like your husband like that. And also, you know, having the addiction, I mean, the, I think the worst thing that I ever had was um, it took me forever to quit smoking, and that wasn't easy either. You know, uh, yeah, yep. You know, they say you know, you know, nicotine is you know just as addictive as heroin. You know, I don't have anything else to compare <laughs> that to, but I know it <laughs> sure took me a heck of a long time to kick that habit, and I could just imagine with all the other things that you know comes along with you know the harder drugs and the uh, street stuff and everything else. You know, what's uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I did it all, man. And that's the thing is, people will see all these accomplishments and and all this stuff, and then they don't they don't expect me to be like, yeah, I've tried mm-hmm. all of these drugs. I've done the only thing I haven't done. I've never shot anything intravenously because I'm way too afraid of it, and sure, obviously yeah. I never will now. But back in my college days, when you're invincible, and you know, I've snorted heroin. Mm. Um, I used to snort cocaine all the time, and it's like. It blows my mind because I could fool people for so many years Mm -hmm. and I was on top of the world. I was leading organizations and talking to people and, and I mean, because it kind of gave me the courage. I grew up, I was shy and it gave me the courage and it gave me energy. It does the exact opposite. Uh, And I've, I've since had like the DNA test done where it says that my tolerance level is like insane and that it has like the opposite effects for different things like opioids and, and all of that. But, um, but essentially then after that, I've had to, the way I am right now was the way that I was. And I had to kind of train myself Mm -hmm. to become that person naturally. And so I'm really proud of the fact that I was able to do that um, because I was really scared that I wasn't. And that is where I found my success is where, when I found my personality and I was afraid that I would never get that back. So if nothing else, I'm just, I'm I'm most proud of this crazy personality, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I was glad that I just never got into that, you know, just because I know I have, you know, I I think in my family there's, you know, addictive or possibly prone to addiction or people that would be more likely to become alcoholics and addicts and things like that. And and believe me, when I was playing in bands in my, you know, early twenties, you know, I, I, we were backstage and we were after hours a lot of times and I saw everything going on. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, um, like that's, that's, I'm, I applaud you for not getting involved in it just because you were yeah. in the environment. It would have been so easy to. Oh yeah. Oh, and I believe me. And, you know, I saw a lot of people get into that, that just didn't make it out. And, um, I lost, a, you know, I knew a good number of people that died young from that stuff, you know, overdoses and, um, or just ruined their lives overall. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just ruined their lives overall. I mean, you know, I'm glad that all I ever really did was drink beer back then because <laughs> <You know? laughs> yep, I couldn't yep, afford whiskey, you know, or I couldn't afford whiskey or mixed drinks or anything. So it was just, uh, <laughs> it was just beer. So, uh. So that that's great here. So um, yeah, these are just some amazing projects. I mean, I'm still looking through your bio on your IMDb page here, and um, I'm just looking. At, t- tell us about some more things. I saw that you. We can save this for a little bit later, but I will mention that you were in Viva La Bam, and that, <laughs> <laughs> or uh, you you had something to do with it, right? Yeah, I was just an extra in one of the scenes. Oh, um, right. They had uh, Slayer playing at the pirate bar. Oh, <laughs> my friends, my friends, um, our friend, uh, 
my friend, my friend from here in, in Northeast Pennsylvania uh, had co-opened a skate shop called Nocturnal Skate Shop with Carrie Getz, who and Carrie Getz is a professional skateboarder with BAM. Right. So we all used to hang out, and they like all of the jackass guys used to come up and skate up here, not too far from my house, maybe like ten minutes from my house at my friend's oh. skate place before they were even famous. So, like, they have all the, we used to rollerblade and all that kind of stuff back in, like, the 90s before they even, like I said, before they got famous. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, like, close, close friends with them, but that night they needed extras and everybody kind of went and it was, it was interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, I bet. <laughs> it was a party. It was in my party stages, so. Oh, boy, yeah, but never a dull moment with that crew. What, what, no. what a bunch of characters. What a bunch of characters those guys I know, are, you know? I know, and, um, like, oh, it's it's, it's just crazy, some of the stuff that they do. But that was, like, the fun thing at the time. Now I look back and I'm like, are you nuts? <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I was also looking at another one here, and I'm just kind of um, looking at some of the TV series that you had here. Um, comic Book Men. I was looking yeah. at um, – tell us about that. That was um, – had to do with uh, Kevin Smith. Like. Oh yeah, so I'm I'm in the View Askew family, if you will. Um, uh-huh. Ernie O'Donnell from Clerks, who also started in 100 Acres of Hell. Um, he's Kevin Smith's best friend since oh, okay. they were in fifth grade. Um, Ernie, and uh, I'm, I'm also friends with all the comic book men, like Mike Zaptic mm-hmm. uh, and his family. Like they, whenever they come and stay in the Poconos when they're on vacation, like they invite me and my my kids, and we always meet up and go out to family dinner, and they always take us out to family dinner. Uh, when I'm out in Asbury Park, we always meet up. Our families always do. We're real close. I'm real good friends with Ming Chen. Um, he always is comes and meets up. We always grab a drink if we can if we're in town. I'm actually going to see them this week um, and hang out with them. Uh, Brian Johnson is also really super cool because Brian Johnson also struggled with opioids and stuff like that at one sure. point in his life. Uh-huh. So we have a lot to talk about there. And Walt's obviously super mm-hmm. cool. Um, but I, you know, becoming friends with everybody when they need uh, people in the audience, the they called us so. Sh- Mello Durant is the production manager for Comic Book Man from uh, all of their seasons, and he is a very good friend of mine. He actually wrote the he wrote the song uh, "Poison" by Belle Biv DeVoe. Oh, sure. And um, yeah, and then he produced like Buster Rhymes, "Put Your Hands Where My Eyes Could See." He does all of the Hall of Fame. Uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, productions. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a he's awesome. He's an amazing friend of mine, and he called me and he's like, Hey Stace, we need the extras. Burt Ward is gonna be in and it's going they're gonna be judging a dog contest. So we're just having a couple of the families come in. Why don't you and, and your sons come up? So mm-hmm. my one son was away with his friends. So me and my one son, my other son, we went and we sat in the audience and you could see us a bunch of times. Uh they did close ups of our faces and whatnot. So it was just cool because those are my friends that mm-hmm. like I said consider family. So um and Kevin Smith Jason uh, Muse, all those guys. When we're out in Hollywood, we always see them. Um, and like they've, we've gone to the Hollywood Babylon stuff. Um, but yeah, they're they're they were a big influence, and they still continue to be. And they're 
if you go through my list um, of favorites on my phone, like Ernie O'Donnell's probably like my fourth one down after <laughs> my kids and my dad. <laughs> right, right. So, <laughs> and I, I loved all the Jay and Silent Bob stuff, and, you know, Clerks. Yeah. And, um, well, and Marilyn Gigliotti, the lead from the original Clerks, she's my roommate in Los Angeles. Oh, is that uh, right? So, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> is that right? That's great. That's great. But yeah, that, that's that's some that's some classic stuff right there. That definitely is. That definitely is here. And um, you did. Uh, and I'm just looking through a couple of other things here. Um, you know, you've uh, meet me for coffee. Tell me about that. You played yourself. It looks like. What's that? Oh, um, is meet, meet me, me for, for coffee? coffee yeah. I think is a podcast that oh, it I is. was okay. on. Yeah, that I think he he interviewed me. <clears throat> that was a podcast. Oh, okay. Some people okay. put up some stuff, and I don't know what it even is sometimes on IMDb. <laughs> I have to really start checking it more often. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that, that's that, that's the thing. You know, is that you got to be you got to watch that stuff, and they do have like a thing of checks and balances you have to go through if you want to put yourself down for something. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you got to basically prove and uh, almost have like video proof you were there sometimes the way they are. You know? yep. but, uh, yeah. I mean, I've done them before, but I mean, it's like, I've never, I'm usually the only one who does them. So when there's an extra stuff in there, it's like, Ooh, somebody else did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, I, I was looking at my page and my page is still in the growing phase. I've only got a few credits on there, but it's getting longer. It's getting there. You know, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's getting there, but it's nice to have that too. It's kind of nice to have it. So people can see what you've done and everything. And, you know, you put up all pictures from all the parts that you've had and stuff like that. And, you know, people can come see it and, you know, hopefully it, it all ends up adding up to something too. Um, yeah. Yep. Yep. So, um, you know, some, some things, and I'll, I'll, um, just ask you this question here. This is something that, um, I ask just about everybody and, and kind of different ways that I have on here. You know, we've had, uh, I, I've had bands, I've had folks that are, you know, actors, you know, both stage and screen, TV, um, all kinds of different performances, all kinds of, I mean, performers, and mm-hmm. um, all of us have had somewhere spinal tap moments, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Have, um, have any of you, have you ever gone through anything like that and anything that you've done? Like, uh, like, I love you, Cleveland. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh. I don't know. Like, it's weird. Um, well, like, I go to the Grammys every year. I've gone for the last seven years straight, you know, mm-hmm. and, and just meeting. But, like, what part What part specifically are you, are you looking for? <laughs> like, what well, kind of spinal tap moment? Well, basically just anything that can go absolutely. Because if you've seen the movie, you know, everything that could have gone yeah. wrong did go wrong. And, yeah, um, yeah. We've had things, I, I've had some people talk about, you know, just, you know, they get up on stage and their amps cut out. They get up on stage and, you know, uh, oh, okay. things, yeah, yeah. Have, no, things okay. have collapsed and fallen apart. And... Gotcha. Um, yeah, that's uh, my daily life. Everything goes wrong and I have to figure out ways to fix it. Honest <laughs> to God. And and that's what it's like being a producer on set. Um, I always say I'm like the mother uh, essentially because everybody comes to me when there's an accident and whenever there's a problem and we have to fix this or we have to figure this out or that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I excel the most. I think probably from working in live TV news and directing, you know, some 
crazy stuff like you know the sandy hook shooting and whatnot there's moments where and then everybody in the whole control room is like what do we do and i'm so i'm telling everybody how to do their job while trying to make sure no kids are getting shot on the tv and and you know oh my gosh it's like that's an everyday occurrence to me but that's where people like me not only excel but we grow because i love the challenge i love i go into things usually with five or six different ways on how to do it anyway just going into it because i'm ready for problems right right and right. it seems like nobody else is but then when all of that fails i can't tell you how many times me and my team and even just me myself it's like when life has given us lemons, we've turned it into duct tape. Like we've made the impossible happen because that's, you have no other choice. You have to make things work or else mm -hmm. they don't. <laughs> so I love figuring all that stuff out. So that's an everyday occurrence, honest to God. But I guess if you really want to pinpoint one bad thing in Haiti, when your stomach is grumbling, there's no McDonald's or restaurants to like or gas stations to pull sure. in and use the facilities. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I found myself on the side of the road uh, looking <laughs> down a construction uh, bathroom hole with no doors, no nothing on it, just a hole with more shades of brown than I even thought existed on a color <laughs> wheel. And I am sitting there. I'm a white woman. And all these people are walking all around me. It's like it's obvious. And this kid stops right in front of me and he's holding a goat by a shoelace. And he just, they're just watching me as like this hole opened up in the bottom of my backside. It was like, <laughs> and I'm like grabbing my phone, like, what's French Creole for shoe and get out of here? Like, it's like, of course, Siri doesn't listen to me. And it's like, oh, you know, so it was like, if that's my, if that's my moment, that was my moment. I mean, I can look back and laugh at it now, but I ate an entire box of Imodium and I didn't go to the bathroom for two weeks and I didn't care. It was, I was just like, <laughs> that was, that was a moment. <laughs> you had mentioned that, you know, you'd done broadcast news for a long time and I had had a couple of other guests in the past that were were um, you know, some veteran newsmen from the Baltimore area on Baltimore, mm -hmm. you know, broadcast news, and some of them on national, had done national news as well. And um, one of them was telling me, you know, what it was like to be sitting in the newsroom at a radio station, and they had the uh, the the ticker tape, Associated Press. Um, mm -hmm. Yep, Kennedy had just been shot. Could you imagine, mm -hmm. you know, that? coming through and you having to break that to the world. Oh, yeah. Um, and you had just mentioned Sandy Hook. Um, what are some of the bigger stories, I mean, that you had the, uh, that you had to break to the public? Well, and Sandy Hook, I think was the biggest one. Cause I mean, I've done a lot. Uh, I don't know if you remember Eric Freen, he shot uh, police officers up here and then there was a nationwide manhunt. Yes, I was there yes. and broke that story both uh -huh. when, it all happened and went down. And then also when he was being arraigned and, and everything, we followed the whole story through. I was the director for all of that. I've directed, gosh, I, for almost 11 years. So figure there, I mean, every day it was always something, but I've worked in 47 countries and for basically every major broadcasting network that is out there. Um, like I said, the Olympics, They've asked me to come back and do uh, Sochi and, and Brazil, but I said no, just because sometimes 
doing i mean it was it was stressful and at that point in time i was just getting ready to get out of broadcast news but even just the 2012 london olympics um you know it was an awesome thing to be hired to be able to do that and go over there uh but i just lost my husband not even a year prior to that and so the thing is though that you don't think about is terrorists they a lot of them go to school at oxford and cambridge so they're not flying anywhere they're just walking down the street you know um and and they target media and there's all these trucks everywhere and i know i i don't know if this ever came out or not but i know that they had lost the master key set at one point in time in the beginning for all of the olympic stuff so it was that was like a, a thing and but it was and i had a sign about man it was like as thick as war and peace almost i mean that's exaggerating but you know your life insurance policies and all that kind of stuff just because you never know what can happen Mm. and i remember almost not going and my son my oldest son he had he had just been seven um and I was, I had just said, you know, I just don't know if I'm going to go. And he said, mom, all my friends, parents said they could have done that and they could have done this. And he said, I want to say that my mom did do this. And I was like, oh, geez, kid, you know, like, okay. <laughs> so I went and I did it. Um, it was, and they always joke about how there's no broads in broadcasting. Hmm. So I always, because I'm behind the scenes, I always go the extra mile. I'll carry the cables. I don't care how heavy they are. I mean, I'm a farm girl, so I'm used to this stuff anyway. Right. But right. there are a lot of dainty, dramatic women, and I understand. So, you know, I fell, um, and, and I scraped my knee up pretty good, but I threw a piece of duct tape on it and went on my merry way. Well, come later on, about a week after I got home, um, I had gotten a flesh-eating parasite. And (laughs) yeah, so those are the things you don't think about too. Figure everybody from all around the world comes to one place because that's uh, the Olympics. Uh, So everybody brings the germs. And I know other people I worked with, they had different versions of scabies. And I mean, it was like, that stuff's insane too. Um, But so... (laughs) I was just like, you know what? I was great. I did it. I'm glad I could do I could say I did it now. And it's awesome to be asked. Um, but I just, I was just at the point in time where I'm just, I'm okay with not putting my life in my hands all the time. I could, mm-hmm. I could say I did it and I did it. And, you know, here we are. <laughs> wow. 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 That, that's so. something else. Yeah. I mean, you know, getting to travel and see different things and things like that. And, you know, just see stories as they're, um, you know, see stories as they're unfolding and things like that. It's just, that's gotta be incredible. And to be part of, mm-hmm. um, were you, were you, um, on the air, did you do any reporting around nine eleven? Uh, no, but it's funny that you say that because essentially that's ultimately what kind of, I think, ramped up my pain pill addiction. Um, oh. I had just moved away, uh, to college. I was a freshman in college. I was two weeks into college. Oh, okay. Uh, when 9-11 happened, but I was going to school at Elizabethtown College, which is conveniently located six miles from Three Mile Island. So sure. yeah, we had gotten is, our yeah. first potassium iodide pills because if a plane was going to crash into there, I was like, we're all dead. Like, we couldn't leave. My parents couldn't come and get me because the highways were closed. And mm-hmm. it was like the first time I was really scared. But at the same time, I just couldn't stop watching the news. And I knew at that moment that that was when... Uh, I wanted to be in news and I did go to school to be on 
air. I was uh, I was an anchor for ECTV 40 down in Lancaster. I did entertainment reporting for some shows for them, um, and I did some reporting. And I also had a radio show for 88.3 FM, the sound of Elizabethtown on WWEC. <laughs> So, I mean, I've, I used to, I wanted to be on the air. And so it wasn't until I became an intern and started interning and realizing that I didn't want to spend eight hours in a courtroom all day just for two minutes on the air. Mm-hmm. So I went and I decided to be the smart person and take a ginormous pay cut and go behind the scenes where there's more stress and no one appreciates you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so <laughs> little college, little college radio under your belt, huh? Yeah, I loved it. And it's so funny. I should have been fired because I, me and my roommate, uh, we had these, we were saying it was this 80s show. We're uh-huh. like, oh, this 80s show. And now that I have Sirius XM, like in my car, I'm like, mm-hmm. none of the stuff I played was from the 80s. It was all in 90s. Like, but we were saying it was the 80s. It right, was so right, terrible. Right. I'm like, who's, why didn't anybody ever even say anything to us? Because we had a show for three years or something like that down there. <laughs> That's that's something I was on the um, there was a small radio station you could really only get on campus at um, University of Maryland Baltimore County when I was there and this was like from eighty six eighty seven and um, we were asked to not do our show anymore we were taken off of the air for doing Sam Kinison impressions I love Sam Kinison <laughs> well we buried that needle all the way up in the red and uh, the station guy came in and like you two out of here get out of here. Uh-huh. And then that was all she wrote with that. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's funny, though. Take a joke. It's, he, if you don't scream, it's not Sam Kennison. I <laughs> know. Uh, well, I know. Well, that's the thing. And, they, you know, you had to do it that way. But the thing was, was that they just had no budget to, they, they couldn't go, they didn't have money to be fixing stuff all the time or, you know, so mm-hmm. they, uh, it, it was just a very, very <laughs> small budgeted thing. You know, but we're all there doing that. And I did it. And I could watch that needle just shoot all the way up into the red room. <laughs> and then uh, then all of a sudden the door comes flying open and this guy's just staring at us with his eyes the size of dinner plates. Like, put on a record. commercial. <laughs> and, and, then, yeah, and, then, and then I was such an idiot back then. You know, whenever I was queuing up records, I was constantly doing it while it was live so you could hear me queuing up the record while the other one was playing and stuff. That's I mean, funny. That was definitely amateur hour then. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yep. So I think I think I think interviewing is a little bit better for me than uh, than uh, just playing music and stuff. So uh, you know, and um, but you know, but you're you're talking about nine eleven. You know, I, I was part of the cleanup at the Pentagon um, at the Ooh. time. You know, and um, you know, so um, now, now I don't know where in Pennsylvania did the third plane go? You know, we had the Trade Center, we had the Pentagon, then there was the plane. Uh, Shanksville. And where is that in Pennsylvania, I guess, in relation to, like, Harrisburg or the Poconos? Or um, well, it's about, uh, it's, like, more towards the center of, like, oh. the center south of uh, the state. So it's probably about, because I'm from, I'm in Scranton. It's probably maybe, like, four hours from Scranton, I think. Okay, so in relation to, like, like, um, I guess it would have been like west of like York and Harrisburg and everything. Is that where you? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. Okay. They have a they have a really nice memorial there that you can go and visit. Yeah, I'd love to see that sometime. I'd love to see mm-hmm. that. And um, 
I can certainly remember, you know, you know, part of, you know, doing the work at the Pentagon and everything. That was just, you know, quite a memory right there. You know, was- oh, I'm sure, man. I'm sure. That's insane. I can only imagine. I mean, and I love always listening to everybody else's 9-11 stories because mm-hmm. I, my kids now, they're 16 and 14, and it's like, Mom, can you tell me about 9-11? I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh. Like, you right. kids are taller than me, and you weren't even born for this. Like, it's that long ago now already. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, that that's like the Kennedy assassination, you mm-hmm. know, of our generation. You know, the Kennedy assassination, or um, and I was a senior in high school when the space shuttle exploded. Oh yeah, the Challenger. My my cousin was, she was on the one before it and the one, excuse me, after it on the Atlantis. Is that right? Um, but she she was the spokesperson during the whole Challenger thing because her best friend was on it, but she was also, um, you know, one of the, she launched the Venus Magellan. So she was wow. like the spokesperson for all of that during it. It was insane. That's something else. That's something else. You said she was down in Annapolis, Maryland. You know, yep. Down that uh-huh. way. Yep. Her name. Her name is Mary Cleave. Is that right? Well, well, uh, well. Let's say a big hello to Mary. Hello, Mary. Uh, hi, Mary. Welcome to Foul <laughs> Players Radio, Mary. If you have any uh, wild space stories you'd love to tell us, we'd love to have you on. Stacy, you'll connect <laughs> us. You know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. That's great. And um, so, what what other projects would you like to tell us about today? I mean, there's so many to choose from. You know, and you've got oh, a lot that are that are um, that look like they're in post production. So, I guess you're probably not at liberty to tell us about those yet, are you? Well, I can. I can. Not the ones really in post uh, yeah. per se. I could tell you about one that we're currently filming now. Uh-huh. Um, is a documentary on the future of blues uh he's been called the future of blues his name is clarence spady he's mm-hmm. a grammy nominated blues artist and he's worked with everyone from bb king to eric clapton he opened up for the supremes and the temptations the four tops like mm-hmm. for the last 35 years um he's been a huge staple in in blues music um wow. and he also was a heroin addict for mm-hmm. the last Thirty some years of his life. Um, So he lost his son last year to an overdose, and he finally got himself clean and together. Um, He's approaching a year now of of sobriety, but he's finally getting his his himself back, and he's going back out on the road. He's been working with a lot of really big name people, uh, and I'm really excited for him. But it's kind of him just getting his life and and also reminiscing and learning all of his lessons. And I mean, it's incredible to see this, the amount of stuff and accomplishments he's played all around the world Mm -hmm. with the biggest names and he did it while on drugs too. So it's funny how like our lives kind of coincide and are similar, but I've been helping him and have been a huge help in, in his sobriety throughout this entire last year as well, uh, as helping to tell a story and he's writing a record. So once the documentary comes out, there will be um, new music released on a, a new record, and as well as we have a ghostwriter who is following him around uh, as we film and telling his story in a book form, too. So I'm excited about that project right now. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Wow, it sounds like it's a lot to be excited about here. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, one thing after another, and you've just done so many great things. And I'm just, you know, it, it's such an inspiring thing to hear everything that you've overcome and you've gone on to do these things. It's just a real, um, I guess when you've really got a strong will and a real desire, 
and just, you know, a lot of strength to be able to do these things. You can do anything, you know, you put your mind to. It's just really. Uh... Yeah. You got to lie to yourself sometimes just to get started, too. Like, I'm mm -hmm. okay. I'm handsome. I am beautiful. Everybody loves me. You mm -hmm. know, that's crazy stuff. <laughs> but it's like you do have to, you have to just lie to yourself until you start to believe it. Because mm -hmm. if nobody else is telling it to you, you know, nobody, nobody cares more about yourself than you. You're right. Um, and You're that's right. the way it should be. Nobody cares more about your business than you. Nobody cares more about your passions than you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you just got to stay on top of it and, and keep pushing, man. <laughs> yeah, great, great, great. Well, yeah. Know, look, I, I've really, you know, enjoyed our conversation today. It's It's been a really great talk we've had. And, um, you know, um, are there any any things that you'd like to plug? Anything that's uh, coming up, or any websites? Or I want you to be as shameless as you want to be. Anything you want to plug? And <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, just following us. Um, if you go to uh, my business partner and I's uh, website for our production offices, our main studios, production studios, we have fourteen thousand square foot facility here in the Poconos and Scranton. Wow. Um, we also have affiliate offices in Los Angeles, Atlanta, Orlando, and over in london in the uk mm -hmm. so that website is the numbers 258 studios.com and then on social media uh both facebook and instagram it's the whole number spelled out 258 studios um so that's facebook instagram and then for my own personal one i have a page stacy toy s-t-a-c-e-y-t-o-y uh, don't forget the E. And then also I'm on LinkedIn and on Instagram. It's Stacy Toy, S-T-A-C-E-Y-T-O-Y. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you again. You know, um, it was really nice to hear about all your projects and your stories and everything. And, you know, hang thank in there you. with it. Thank hang you in. for having me. I really had fun. Thank you so much, Michael. <laughs> well, oh, I'm, I'm glad to have you. I'm glad to have you on and everything. And, uh, Thank you all for listening. This has been Stacy Toy with us tonight on Foul Players Radio, and we will see you next time.